Hey, you're listening to The 100 Day Project Podcast. The 100 Day Project is a free global art movement. Every spring, thousands of people all around the world commit to 100 days of exploring their creativity and sharing their process online. Find out more at the100dayproject.org. Hi, and welcome to The 100 Day Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Jean Thompson. And my guest today is the one and only Elle Luna. Elle is a designer, painter, and writer, and the author of The Crossroads of Should and Must. And Your Story is Your Power, Free Your Feminine Voice, co-authored with Susie Herrick. She previously co-facilitated the 100-Day Project, that's this, and worked as a designer for IDEO, Medium, Mailbox, and Uber. Elle lives in the San Francisco Bay Area and can be found on Instagram at Elle Luna. Hi, Elle. Hi, Lindsay. I'm so excited to have you here. It is great to be here. So uh, we actually have been leading the project together the last couple of years. Uh, And before that, you had actually uh, kind of started it on Instagram six years ago. This will be the sixth year. How did you first hear about the project? I first heard about the project um, many moons ago when I was applying to graduate programs. And I heard about a class taught at Yale. This would have been in 2003. Um, A class led at Yale by Michael Beirut. And the class was called the 100 Day Project. And he led a project a class project that lasted 100 days. You um, basically repeated the same design action every day for 100 days. I thought, wow, this sounds like the coolest class. I should apply to Yale for graduate school. And I applied and I did not get in. And many, many years later, after I ended up going to a different school, um, many years later, I was with some friends And it just dawned on me that you don't have to go to Yale to do the 100-day project. (laughs) And so at dinner that night, I asked the friends that I was with, I said, you know, would anyone else want to try this? You know, it sounds like an interesting creative challenge and nice opportunity for accountability. And every single person at that dinner said yes. And there were margaritas flowing and there were, uh, (laughs) but I think everyone was genuinely pretty psyched about it. And um, I don't know if you've felt this way talking about the project, you just talk about it and people immediately have an idea for a project and want to participate. So that's how it started. And um, we did that six years ago. We all just, you know, posted it on our Instagram accounts that we were kind of hijacking this project from Michael and we wanted to do it. We wanted to do it together. And, uh, and that's how it started. And so that would have been 2013. And who, who was running the project with you? Or was it just kind of this more casual, you know, did you pick a start date? How did it kind of first, first uh, begin? Well, back at that margarita dinner, we just chose a start date. I think it was like the first Tuesday in April. Uh, we all posted on our Instagram accounts that we were all going to do this. And that year we had about 50,000 people participating. Wow. So it spread really quickly. Mm-hmm. And um, the next year, uh, I, I believe the next year I I just facilitated it on my own, posting prompts and telling people when it was going to start. And around that time, um, Tina Smaker and the team over at The Great Discontent 
they were really interested in what was happening and they offered to do some like newsletters and some curatorial input, uh, having different artists kind of talk about their favorite projects. And, um, it, that really added a whole nother layer to it of, mm-hmm. of, um, I don't know, people were starting to discover new artists. Uh, the project got a much greater reach. There was more organization, and um, the year after that, there was a lot of, I mean, the project was just like exploding and there were people in over 70 countries participating. It was, it was just this, you know, large growing thing. And of course, the immediate next question was, how do we make it bigger and how do we, um, <laughs> you know, like keep the kind of growth going and and that raised a lot of questions for me, and maybe we can come back to this and talk about it a bit more. But um, what does it mean to have a free, open art project that anybody can participate in? And what are what are the reasons to grow it or not grow it? Mm-hmm. Um, what does growth look like when it's it's an art project? When um, you know, at that time, it was just something nobody was making money off of it. It just existed because we felt like it needed to exist. There was something really, really pure about that intention that felt really good. Um, and there were a lot of, you know, there was a lot of different chatter about what it could become or where it could go. And, um, to me, it felt for my own experience and involvement, it just felt really important that it stay a very egalitarian, um, personal collaborative art project that anybody anywhere in the world could participate in. And they didn't need to have the finances. They just had to have the time and the willpower and we could do this thing together. And, um, and, and this like very unifying experience. So that, that was, uh, I guess 2000, that was for two years after that. And Mm -hmm. then Lindsay, you and I, two years ago began, or is that right? Two years? Yeah. Two years ago. Two years ago, I I don't remember what I said, but we started <laughs> talking about it. Yeah, because the project it is like it's a collaboration and it's a project. There's so many moving parts. For those of you who participate in the project, uh, you know there's just a lot of content and there's a lot of emails that get sent just at the right time. And um, even the idea of the podcast that was your idea last year. Um, to really bring that to life. And it, it, it's better when we do it together. And, and Lindsay, for, you, for those of you who don't know, Lindsay and I are really good friends who also get to work together. And so it was just really fun. And we would get together and we'd plan and come up with all the different ideas we have for how to get more people involved. And um, so it's been really fun getting to collaborate with you, Lindsay. It's been such an honor. I feel really similarly to you. And I think probably this is why it it ended up working out that we could lead it together. uh, Was that, you know, this project doesn't really belong to anyone, even Michael Beirut, who started it basically said the same thing, you know, that it's just kind of the beauty of the project is that it is so open, and that anyone can do it if they feel the pull to do it. That's right. 
And so we've been leading it together the last two years, which has been really fun. We did a group program, a paid group program that ran in tandem with the free program or the free project. Um, And this year we were kind of starting to brainstorm, you know, what do we want to do? And you kind of sat with it. And what did you decide? Lindsay, you're so good at getting right to the heart of the matter. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Lindsay and I began doing our our planning. So even though the project doesn't start until April, the work really begins like at the end of the year. So end of December, we began having like our, you know, calls every two weeks and something inside of me was just feeling a little off. And, um, I, I didn't quite have language for it, but I just, I felt like I was dragging my feet to show up for the calls. You know, I wasn't I wasn't really diligently completing some of my to-dos. And I I really over New Year's um I I took some time um just some like quiet time with myself to really like sink into like what was that and what was going on. And the more I sat with it, um I had also been reading and, and doing the Marie Kondo process, uh, you know, at my, at my house. And there's this part in the Marie Kondo, the KonMari method, where she talks about feeling complete with something. Mm. And when I had a bit of quiet time to really reflect, I realized that there was a lot with the project in terms of leading it that i actually felt really complete with. Mm-hmm. I felt like um, I had led and or co-led in a variety of configurations for five years, which is 500 days plus however many days on the front end and the back end. Yeah. And um, and it was this like wildly successful project. Like, you know, when I look at my bio, it's like, the thing that is potentially most successful. And, um, I just remember sitting there thinking, I like, I feel good. I feel really complete. And there were parts of me that, um, are like more scarcity mindset pieces of myself that really, you know, enjoyed how much everyone enjoyed me like co-leading this project Mm -hmm. and loved the, you know, accolades and the, you know, some of the, the, um, the things that feel really good, right? Like it's a very popular project and it's, it has been, and it will continue to be. And it's just naturally, um, it's naturally a, a very inclusive project and also I felt complete. Yeah. And the reason I was dragging my feet, I think was, um, because my, my body really knew that. And, um, it, and, and then the next piece was, oh my gosh, how am I going to talk to Lindsay? <laughs> if you're how listening, she's tell not Lindsay? telling me this right now. We've already had this conversation. Just to be clear. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. And so, so there was a part of me where I thought, okay, I'm going to tell Lindsay, like, I need to, you know, take a back seat or I need to kind of back off a little. And I realized that that language, you know, back off or take a back Mm -hmm. seat was actually language that I thought Lindsay would prefer to hear. 
And it was, and I realized it was the way that I felt that I was taking care of Lindsay by saying, you know, something a little bit softer when actually what I really wanted to do was resign. (laughs) I wanted to like write the letter and push it across the desk. And I really wanted, I really wanted to be done. And I didn't, I didn't want to like kind of say what I wanted and then still be doing 73% of the same tasks. Yeah. So we talked and I, and I said, I'm, I'm pushing my, my resignation letter across the table. And, and I said to you, like, here are three possible outcomes and maybe Lindsay, you can, you can share what happened next. Yeah. Well, first I just want to say that this is something that I really admire about you and, and, not only do you make the time and the space to listen to that inner knowing, but you follow it, you honor it. And I think one of the beautiful things about the project is however long it takes you each day, if you're spending five or 10 minutes really just with yourself, it's in a lot of ways like a meditation and it really opens opens that up. So it's not just about expressing, like that expressing comes from somewhere, right? And something that I just think you really really like walk the talk on is that you listen to that. And so, yeah, so we had that call and I was like, okay, this is like, it was a little out of left field for me, but I was like, great. I, that's sort of how I remember the conversation. Like, you know, I love you. I want you to be happy. I want you to do the things that you want to do. And I think another important thing here is that, and as people are considering their projects, that just because you've done something or you're good at it or because other people like it, doesn't mean you have to do it anymore if you don't want to do it anymore. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And I wish everyone to have a collaboration partner like Lindsay, uh, because Lens, you have been, I mean, you, I was so afraid to really tell you how I was feeling and what I needed. And you were so supportive and really, really heard me as a friend. And then also, you know, took some really specific steps to figure out what you wanted and where you wanted it to go. And that was just beautiful and really encouraged me to say what I think and how I feel more often. So thank you for that. I'm so glad we're friends. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Um, uh, so you're going to be the first guest of the podcast. So you'll be week one. And oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I've, I'm sure that a lot of people are going to be like, who's who's Lindsay? And I knew that they would want to hear from you and hear, uh, you know, what kind of led to this and also uh, what you're doing now. So you're stepping back from the day to day running of the project. We've kind of been talking about you as like a like a spiritual advisor or that type of thing. We haven't quite settled on the the, the words yet, but like, it'll come to us eventually. Right. Totally. I, I remember my very first job out of grad school was at IDEO in Chicago. And, um, the, one of the leaders of the Chicago office. And one of the, one of the things IDEO does a really good job of is they have shared leadership mm-hmm. among a leadership team. And, um, one of the f- folks who led the Chicago office, his name is Andrew Burroughs. And I had only been at IDEO for about a year. Andrew ran the office. Uh, he, he had gone to Northwestern as for engineering school, I believe. I should probably double check that before I say it on a podcast. But um, <laughs> he was just really, really a talented guy and then had, you know, decade over decade, I think he had opened the Chicago office 
um, he had eventually grown into the uh, shared leadership role. And Andrew was an amazing leader. Everyone really respected him. And one day during one of our Monday morning meetings, he said, I just really want to be an engineer again. And I just want to be on project teams and I just want to, I just want to get my hands dirty. And so he like demoted himself. (laughs) And I remember thinking, this is amazing. Yeah. This idea of getting into a position of leadership or a position of power and then uh, really just handing it off to someone else Mm -hmm. and uh, returning to your roots of making there's something about that that really spoke to me as I thought about the 100 day project. Mm. It has been so much fun to lead, especially because I've gotten to work with you. And also as I step out of the day to day of running the project and you step into it, everybody is going to get to benefit from all of the gifts that you bring to the project. And you and I are different in unique ways and you have ideas for things that maybe I wouldn't have prioritized and vice versa, same thing. There's something really beautiful about like, what's the project going to be like with a different uh, set of eyes at the helm? And how is that going to ripple out and impact the whole community? And how does the whole community benefit from a model of shared leadership? And I've been thinking a lot about this notion of shared leadership and, and also leaderlessness, yeah. I mean, in some way, you know, you and I have always called ourselves facilitators mm-hmm. and thinking about instead of, you know, being the, the leader or any sort of a traditional hierarchical model, just this idea that we really sit in, in, a, in a more of a circle as a group and we, we lead the, the group with, with a start date and with times and with prompts along the way and some encouragement and support but there's something really beautiful about this idea of leaderlessness and this idea that by me getting to return to making, so what am I going to be doing next? I'm going to be a participant in the 100 day project and I'm just going to focus on my project, which feels really exciting. And I'm excited. It's, it's a lot of work to do the day to day of the project and I'm excited to just get to be a maker. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I'm I'm really excited to see what you do with it and how you lead and how you or you facilitate. One of the other things in my life that is really important to me is um, I sit in a women's circle, and uh, we usually gather on the new moon. And one of the aspects of the women's circle that is so important is the idea that it is it is leaderless. And um, there's a woman named Jean Shinoda Bolin, and she wrote a book called The Millionth Circle. And there's a paragraph that I'd love to read. She says, my focus is on the meaning of women's circles and their formation and maintenance because women as a gender have a natural talent for them. The circle is an archetypal form that feels familiar to the psyches of most women. It is personal and egalitarian. When the circle is taken into the workplace or community by women, often modified to be acceptable and unthreatening to men who usually don't find this is a natural form for them, it enhances collaborative undertakings and brings people who work together emotionally closer and in a less hierarchical relationship to one another. I love this idea that, um, 
the project is this is like a circle of sharing and a circle of cooperation. And it doesn't really matter who's sort of tending to the circle at any given time. And this idea that like we're all sort of called to lead in our own ways Mm -hmm. and creating space for that. And that also means creating, stepping aside and not doing something. It also means creating spaces for other voices to come forward, for your voice to come forward and to, to really relax into the possibility that and the hope that it's going to be radically different than when I was tending to the circle. I, so for me, the, the what's nextness is a bit of just supporting you and, and watching you create this, um, next iteration of the project and just getting to witness you and your, and all of your magic and all of the voices you're bringing in, all of the different ways you're, you're the things that you're excited about, and that you're that you're just making happen. It's so exciting, and and also just the permission that I'm giving myself to just sort of be a kid again and just play, um, and that feels really good. I love all of that. So, have you decided what your project's going to be this year? No, no. Well, I <laughs> last year. <laughs> Last year, I did 100 days of animation, and I really, really enjoyed it. I only got to day 91, so I'm still noodling on doing nine before we start this year just to be spiritually complete, Mm -hmm. but I might do 100 days of animation again. So I sent out a survey to the community and... Uh, to get feedback on the project. And in like two days, over 700 people responded, which is totally bananas. But a lot of the, a lot of people said how much they enjoyed watching your animations. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Well, that is quite a project too. That is a very big endeavor. It is, especially when you don't know how to animate. (laughs) (laughs) But you learned. (laughs) Yes, I it's a mixture of kind of learning and unlearning and hacking and um it's terribly fun and I and I it's so hard and there's something about it that I just really love like it's cell by cell animation it's two frame I I do um I shoot on twos for those of you who animate so let's say one second has 24 frames. So 24 frames per second. You'll have 12 drawings if you shoot on twos. You'll have 24 drawings if you shoot on ones. So doing 12 drawings per second and then having a six second piece, you do the math. It, It becomes quite a meditation and resilience after a while. Wow. Um, what have been some of your highlights either of doing your own project or leading or observing other people doing the project over the past five years? Oh, wow. One of my biggest highlights, I will never forget. There was a a woman who had an Instagram account that was just all these pictures of her cute two sons playing soccer. It was just like the life of a soccer mom. You know, you could tell she just loved her kids and loved these soccer games. And then she signed up for the 100 day project and I saw her account and her bio, her name's Hillary. Her bio said, uh, want to be artist for real mom of two. And I thought, oh, wow, this is going to be interesting. Uh, she did 100 days of subversive cross stitch. Her project was epic. 
she created an entire body of work that was humorous and fresh and exciting. And like, you could just tell there was all of this creative Mm -hmm. life bursting from this wannabe artist for real mom of two. And at the end of her 100 day project, I wrote her a note and I said, you've got to change your bio. (laughs) And she? she, she played with it. She played with it. And there's this interesting thing, like, what is it about, you know, I think it's easy to say that, like, I am a creator. There's something culturally much more difficult about saying I am an artist, Mm -hmm. something really deep and precious and tender, Mm -hmm. and that feels like it's not for me. And even Lindsay, you and I in the creative collective, we would give people the chance when the moment was right to proclaim, I am an artist. And those moments were always so tender. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember in my own life, as I began to really understand the power of creativity and the power of my imagination, and really that that was a very important life practice. And it wasn't something to be slapped on like window dressings, window curtains. It was not like a last minute addition. It was the core Uh, orientation of my life. And as I began to really understand that and really get that, prioritize it, uh, create some sort of financial budget for it, really make space for it in my schedule, really make sure that I got it. And that yes, that other people respected it, but most of all that I respected it. Uh, It changed the direction of my life. And we see that in people's projects, you know, they start off thinking that, oh, this is just a project where I'm painting everyday scenes. And then by day 100, something tremendous has happened. The way that they're seeing the world is different. The way that they're thinking about themselves is different. The way that they're showing up to their families or in their relationships or in their jobs, it's different. And there's something really subversive and really, really powerful about taking our time away from our phones and all of the things that compete for our attention and saying, instead of looking for what I need out there, I'm actually going to turn inward for 10 minutes a day or an hour a day. And I'm really going to focus on, on what's happening inside. And for a lot of people, it, it hasn't happened in a while, or it feels foreign, or for some people, it might be the first time. We had um, one woman who did 100 days of overheard conversations. And these were watercolor drawings. Uh, she was a, an adult dancer at a strip club. And she did 100 overheard conversations um, that her clients would say, things, different things that her clients would say as they were like getting money at the ATM, but really telling her about the troubles they were having at home with their wife. And she would draw these like very innocent, colorful drawings as a way of, I mean, obviously you can't take photos and and the dialogue and the conversation. And, and this entire piece ended up running in Forbes magazine and all of her art and, you know, descriptions about what this project did for her and how it helped her really, you know, integrate and digest what was actually happening there in her work. Um, the, the possibilities for the project are so endless and, um, there's so many different examples and, and a lot of people have gotten books published and are giving talks and, um, have totally changed careers as a result of the project. 
So I recommend starting off with a project that's very simple, like Michael Beirut, who started the project, ended up doing the project online, and he did 100 days of drawing my left hand. And every day for 100 days, he would just sit down and draw his left hand. And um, if you start with a project like that, if you make it really, really simple, um, overheard conversations, new recipes, whatever it might be, you end up somewhere that you never could have anticipated at the beginning. And we uh, we actually got to interview Michael last year, which was kind of a, a highlight too, I think, right? Oh, it was amazing. He's brilliant. Yeah. He's funny. He's generous. He's really, really kind. He sent us the nicest email after that came out. It was very sweet. I think about something that he said on the podcast pretty often. He said something like, is this fun? I don't know if it's fun. <laughs> and I, so like, I think it's fun, but I, I have like, I feel like a pretty good relationship with, with my kind of both creative practice and also discipline. Uh, but like one of the things that we've both noticed a lot about the project is that sometimes people start it and it, you know, they don't finish because, because it becomes a chore or because uh, it just isn't that fun for them. And I think for both of us, or maybe I'll just speak for myself here, I would love for people to enjoy their projects more. So to like choose something that like made them happy or that they enjoyed doing or that actually was fun. How do you feel about fun in your project or your creative process generally? Hmm. Well, I feel like by day 30 or 35 is usually the point where it, it, it's a bit like, um, you know, in the early stages of a romance where like mm -hmm. the, you know, all of the good ideas and all the like kind of um, planning that we've done about our project, you know, begins to fade. And by like day 30, 35, 37, is a bit of the reality of, oh my gosh, I've signed up for this for 100 days and I'm out of ideas. <laughs> yeah. And that's when, that's when the panic arrives or, you know, oh my gosh, this is so romantic and fun. And then the reality sets in and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, this is hard. This, there's some hard stuff. And for me, that's when the project really begins. That's the moment when our own personal development arrives. You know, can we keep showing up when things get hard? Can we keep showing up when we don't have, our ideas might not be as sparkly and fun as they were at the beginning? Can we keep showing up and um, sitting down and doing the work? And are we okay with making bad work? Are we okay with making really bad work <laughs> or maybe less skillful work? And can we keep uh, can we keep our commitment and stay in the process and trust that something eventually is going to happen? And it does. And usually, that's those are the breakthroughs when we least expect it. We think we're thoroughly out of good ideas. We're ready to give up, and we're still you know plugging away every day. And then, boom! Something that we never could have anticipated arrives. And that takes the project in a whole new direction. And that's really exciting. You can watch it when someone's, you can tell they're, oh, they're getting bored with their project. They're getting bored with their project. They're really thinking of quitting. And then something happens. And instead of 
distracting and going somewhere else, they actually drop deeper into their project and unlock a whole new world. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's terribly exciting to see. So I, I think that's fun, but that's fun on the other side of a lot of pain. So I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it, it helps to choose something that you really want to do. So even when it's less fun or when it gets to be a little bit of a slog or when you run out of ideas, it's still something that you genuinely like. Yeah. Yeah, I would yeah. agree with that. Well, we have um, we have just a couple minutes left. And in closing, you know, you've, you have done this project many times. You have led it for five years. What do you want people to know? What, uh, what words of encouragement can you share? Oh, I would say it's so fun to do it together. It's so fun to bring family members in or your your wife, your spouse, your, um, your mom. It's so fun to do it with other people. And it's also really fun to find people in your community who are doing it mm-hmm. and, you know, meet up at the local library or, um, you know, have some sort of a get together and use it as a way of like meeting more of your neighbors and, connecting more within your community. And, and certainly that community will be online. It'll be on Instagram and it can also exist within your, your physical geographic location. It's just such a fun project. And, um, I guess my encouragement would be, or the words that I would leave people with is, I mean, it was the, the essence of why it was started was as an art project. It's an art project and it's a creativity project it's not a project that is intended to um, solve all your problems. It's not intended to pay all your bills. Um, this is like the one chance that you get to do something that is just totally for you and is potentially purposeless. And you get to participate and show up in this thing that is just for you. Like maybe you really love the color purple or maybe you love white doves it's a chance for you to just pursue something just for you and you don't have to explain it to anybody. And I can't think of many other places in our life where we get to do that and it doesn't have to have a point. Um, Your whole project can just be to explore something because you love it and, and that's enough. And it's really, really fun to have a project um, where we can just explore and share and um, be in it together. And it doesn't have to be or do anything other than that because that's enough. Amen. I love you so much. I'm so glad we're friends. It's been such an honor to get to share this with you and with the entire community. This community is amazing. I love seeing people participate and cheer each other on. And, um, yeah, I just can't thank you enough for for bringing me into the fold. Right back at you, Lindsay. It's amazing. Thank you for having me on, and I'm I'm spiritually in the in the ether here. So um, yeah, I'll be around, but I'm I'm rooting for you. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Again, I'm your host, Lindsay Jean Thompson. You can find out more about The 100 Day Project at the100dayproject.org. This podcast was produced by Adam Day, music by Peter Fenn. Our guest next week is Virgie Tovar.
I think what that's what's so amazing about creative work of any kind. It is deeply spiritual. It is deeply, um, you know, it, it forces us to connect to the, the most vulnerable parts of ourselves. 